Hello, interwebs, and <laughs> hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe, and I'm Ryan. Unfortunately, this week we're doing another explains episode. Ryan's never watched Star Trek. Can I convince him to give it a try? Or you, if you've never seen it either? Let's find out. By the way, there won't be any spoilers for the shows or movies. Into our medium shot now from our extreme long shot. Before I give my pitch, let's talk about our histories, or lack thereof, with this franchise. I'll go first this time, because you going second will transition better, I think. Mm. This will be slightly more lengthy than usual, but feel free to sit back and relax for a moment as I tell you my story. I first remember hearing the name Star Trek as a little kid. For context, my mom, brother, and I were obsessed with Star Wars and talked about it all the time, but my dad was never a huge fan of the Star Wars franchise. So one day, he started talking about this childhood favorite of his called Star Trek, which he claimed was better than Star Wars. We all cried blasphemy. I was first exposed to Star Trek myself not too long after, when my grandmother and uncle used to babysit my brother and I. My uncle is a massive Star Trek fan, has been since the original series was syndicated in the 70s. He used to show my brother and I DVDs of it. We very much enjoyed the show, but didn't look into it further. That's probably down to the fact my mother hates the original series with a passion. She's still bitter decades later that my uncle made her watch the show whenever he got his pick of the channel. She hated it so much, she nearly refused to see Star Wars when it came out in 1977, because she was afraid it'd be like Star Trek. She, however, loved The Next Generation. It's one of her all-time favorite shows, so she eventually tried to get me into that. I tried to start that show no less than three times over about five years before I finished the first season. Suffice it to say, I and the show had a rough start. But it's one of my all-time favorites as well now. The J.J. Abrams movies were a good soft reintroduction to the franchise for me. Then around five years... Oh, soft reintroduction. Then about six years ago, I began to watch every single series from the original through to Discovery. That's about six shows spanning 1966 to present. And there's even a few new ones now. It took me near four years of chipping away to get through everything. I'll be called a fake fan by some people because I haven't seen all the 15 movies yet, but I'm getting there. Stop judging me, okay? <laughs> so, Ryan, what are your preconceived notions of Star Trek and how dead set are you against trying it? There's 15 movies? Fifteen movies and about six, seven, eight, ten shows now. Most of them, a lot of them are from the last few years, but. Good lord. Uh, I'm not dead set on not trying it out. Yep. However, I grew up on the notion that Star Wars was better. And I saw clips of Star Trek Online, very old ones. And of course, you're, you're a child. And you don't know anything. And when you're a kid, you just consider old as bad for some reason. And there's there was just so much of it, and I already spent so much time inside watching TV movies as it is. My parents would probably be very concerned if I was watching another thing. However, I'm not too hyped about trying to watch Star Trek because I'm just more confused about what what is it. <laughs> okay, well, let's... Dispel some of those illusions, whatever you may have. Uh, do you have any more to say on your background before we get into um, it? All I remember is, like, the this, this skits from 
TV about like Star Wars nerds versus Star Trek nerds. That's all I remember, like Family Guy skits and like American Dad skits. That's about it. I don't remember much. Okay. All right, I guess that brings us to our close-up. All right, so I guess I'll start with a little pitch. Imagine, if you will, warping through the stars on a technologically advanced spacecraft hundreds of years into the future. Everything you see has the potential to be a new discovery. The human spirit pushes past its comfort zone into the unknown, just so we can know what's out there. And so it begins. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Okay, episode over now. I don't need to tell you what Star Trek is about, because the series did an iconic job of that right up front. Alright, so the first thing I'll say to convince somebody getting into Star Trek, what it means to me. Star Trek, to me, is the cure for modern cynicism. Star Trek premiered back in 1966, when America was tearing itself apart. The president had just been assassinated a couple years ago. The civil rights movement was starting to be in full swing. This was at the height of the Cold War. Things were bad. But Star Trek came out and dared to show us better. In, at the height of the civil rights movement, we have a black woman on the bridge in a key role. She wasn't, she wasn't just a subordinate for, for Kirk or his maid or something like that. She probably would have been on many other shows. She was a, I believe she was a lieutenant and a communications officer at the height of the civil rights movement, which is amazing. 20 years after Pearl Harbor, when the United States still bore some bitterness against Japan, we have a Japanese man on the bridge as Sulu. At the height of the Cold War, we have a Russian on the bridge as one of the pilots and navigators. This was a show where it, was, it showed us a future where hunger, poverty, xenophobia, racism, sexism, homophobia, global warming, and all our world's ills have been solved. And in this future, humankind now dedicates itself to art, literature, science, history, and exploration. And we exist within a federation of planets, dozens of alien worlds united in common beliefs. So much sci-fi appeals by showing us the worst in ourselves as a warning. Star Trek appeals by showing us our best selves as a goal. Not to say it was easy to reach this future. Part of Star Trek's philosophy shows us we must always be vigilant and fight to maintain our best ideals, because they can always slip away. I can get into more how this utopic future came to be, if you care to know later. Or now, before we move on, if you want, but... Yeah, why, well, they, why are they exploring? What's, the, what's their goal? That's one of my questions, really, is like, what's their... What is the purpose? Is it to divide and conquer, or is it to be like, hey, this planet looks cool, let's go visit it? It's just for the curiosity of scientific exploration. They just want to see what's out there, whatever strange entities they can encounter, whether it's technologies, civilizations, they study, they study primitive cultures on alien planets, they look for new allies who, 
once they have a technologically once they're technologically capable enough and have similar ideals they invite them into the federation it's pretty much let's just spread we'll spread goodwill across the galaxy you know get people get people up to speed on the latest technologies but only if they're worthy of being inducted into the federation but it really it's just let's see what's out there and run into a lot of trouble along the way whenever we find something we don't know about which is often Sounds like the United Kingdom all over again. It's not about colonization, though, <laughs> is the thing. It's not an empire. No, I, know, I know. It's not about colonialism or imperialism. It's the opposite of that, really. It's, about, it's more like the United Nations in space. Mm. Is what it is. It's a collection, except they, they agree more. Not all the time, but... Imagine. Imagine yeah. a world where that's possible. Because unlike the United Nations of the unlike the United Nations of Earth, where this planet's still very much divided by its differences, the Federation is united because of their common beliefs. And yes, they all have cultural differences between the alien worlds, but they're all in this together because they want to be. Is the thing. And it takes a lot of criteria to be inducted into the Federation to start with. But yeah, so that's what it's all about, and uh, you were asking before, how did this, well, I don't think you asked specifically, but you wonder maybe, how did this utopic world come to be for humanity in the first place? Well, see, that's the thing, is... Yeah, why they leave? Why they leave Earth? No, they're still on Earth. Oh. They're just, they're still on Earth, they just, they're just exploring now, too. The main people who do the exploring are what's called Starfleet, and they're mm. basically... I've heard them described as a paramilitary organization. So they're basically, they're the front line of defense for the Federation. They have these advanced starships. They're kind of like a military, but they're mostly scientists and explorers and diplomats. So they kind of do a little bit of everything. But people on Earth are still living like they do on Earth. They have, but like I said, it's more... In this universe, money and capitalism have pretty much been abolished, so most people dedicate their time to history, literature, art, performance, science, what have you. Some people colonize other planets, but dead ones that they that had no life on them, they terraform them, make new colonies out in space. Elon Musk's dream. Yeah. So it's just, it's a utopic society, but it didn't always start this way. Earth... Even back in 1966, they realized that this utopia had to be predicated on something very bad happening. There were things that were called the eugenics wars, where humans tried to genetically alter themselves to be superior, and that led to a war, that led to multiple wars, where the, the humans who were genetically modified thought themselves to be superior, and that led to wars, and then there was World War Three, and that pretty much destroyed 30% of the Earth's population, and it just obliterated us, basically. Mm. Things got really dire. But then humanity sort of picked itself back up, and when they invented the first warp drive, which is faster than light travel, they found a, then these, the Vulcans, who are Spock species, they... I know this. Yeah, live long and prosper. So Vulc the Vulcans... They found 
Earth in this dire state, but they saw the potential in humanity because we invented faster-than-light travel. So that's what led the Vulcans to come down to Earth and basically help human society rebuild from the ground up, help us get over our prejudices and our reliance on capitalism and greed, and basically helped us reach our best selves, because, you know, we had nowhere else to go, really. It was kind of at a fork at the road. We were either going to descend into anarchy and be our worst selves or go on a path to our best. It was World War III was the breaking point, and we chose the better path in this universe. Although there is a darker timeline where <laughs> the bad path happened too, but that's that's another thing altogether. That's movie seven. Actually, that started on the original series. Oh, it's one of the most famous episodes when they go to the dark universe. And I don't and know it's if just, it's just now. <laughs> Have you seen Community? Yes. So you know Abed's joke about the goatee. That's because in the in the dark universe of Star Trek, Spock had a goatee, and that was really oh. that was really his only difference in the dark universe. That's where Abed got that joke from. Oh, so it's like a meta joke. Yeah. Well, gotcha. it's community. Every joke's meta, but yeah. So you might be wondering if this society is such a utopia. Where's the conflict? Well, don't mistake utopia for boring. Space is large, and space is dangerous. There are many enemies wishing to destroy the Federation. And there's many other moral quandaries which don't always have black or white answers. There's political considerations, diplomatic issues. Sometimes the problems involve plagues or time travel or technology gone awry. But every issue is solved by teamwork. Star Trek has its heroes, sure. There's certain characters more awesome than others. But from day one, the idea was that absolutely nothing worthwhile can be accomplished alone. Each issue needs the consideration of diverse perspectives, of races, species, cultures, and fields of expertise. The conflicts often boil down to moral philosophy dilemmas, with a healthy dose of action. Many times the captains just have to make the best decision they can at the time, whatever will minimize the damages. This is entertainment which makes you think about the human condition, about how our decisions affect others, and about bigger questions. What is our purpose in these grand cosmos? It also makes you turn inward. All this thought, moral philosophy, and role modeling gets to you after a while. The next generations single-handedly turn me into a more well-rounded, empathetic, and diplomatic person. This franchise entertains me and inspires me to be my best self every day. And if you gave it a chance, it might do the same for you or others. So that's basically all I have for my rush spiel. Let's get into your questions and mm -hmm. see if I can dispel any. What a what a lovely pitch. My first question is, what's up with Scotty? What's up with Scotty? Why is Kirk always yelling at him? Why is he always telling him to beam him up? Why can't Kirk do it himself? Is he operating the machine? Is Scotty like a low level? Is he not appreciated enough? That is actually a one of those famous things like in Star Wars, it's everyone thinks it's Luke, I am your father. Kirk never actually said beam me up Scotty in a single episode. It's just one of those things everyone knows it's about. It's just a meme? Yeah. Although Scotty did operate the transporter, because one of Star Trek's biggest, mm. most famous technologies was the transporter, where it basically takes all your matter and can transport it somewhere else. You kind of dematerialize and then rematerialize wherever the transporter chief puts you. Scotty is the Enterprise... Sounds painful. No, actually. They... Well, it was originally done to transport cargo but then they eventually they decided mm. to use it on people which you see in 
one of the prequel shows. Was it created by Amazon? Probably. Mm, Probably. So Scotty is the Enterprise's chief engineer, is what his role is. He spends most of his time on the lower decks when the Enterprise is in firefights with other people, getting itself blasted in. Scotty's the guy keeping the ship going. Mm. He's the guy who keeps the engines running, repairs the ship when it's getting blasted to pieces by whatever, keeps it together when it's tearing itself apart. Is he the one who who orders all the coffee for when they run out? Space coffee? That's funny you should mention food, because one thing about Star Trek is the way they got rid of hunger is by inventing something called a replicator. And a replicator, pretty much, it works similarly to a transporter. The transporter dematerializes you and rematerializes you somewhere else. A replicator can basically, it basically works like a 3D printer, except uh-huh. it, can, it can make anything, even synthetic food. And that's, how, and that's how most of the people on these spaceships eat, is they just plug in whatever order they want into the replicator, and it just, it makes them their synthetic food. That although sounds amazing. Although there is still real food, which a lot of people do prefer. Because the synthetic stuff isn't quite the same. No, but, of course uh, It probably comes out, like, lukewarm. But yeah, Scotty doesn't have to get them the coffee, like you were saying, because they can just order the coffee from the transporter. In mm. fact, one of... On Star Trek Voyager, Captain Janeway was famous for getting her coffee. <laughs> she... That was her drink of choice. Okay, so, new question. Is it, like, the amount of food you order? Is it more space credits? Is it, like, a coffee is, like one credit and like a full turkey dinner is like 50 or is it just like boop boop print it's pretty much just boop boop print because like i said there's no oh because capitalism is gone yeah because capitalism is gone so there's really no exchange rate they really they don't really see the need to indulge much though because Mm. they're well they're on a spaceship right so you pretty much only eat during meals or, you know, and you also have to keep trim, so there's no point in indulging in terrible foods either. I'm sure plenty of people do out in the galaxy somewhere, but not most of our main characters, just because they're they're military. They gotta they gotta work. But I would be walking to that machine every five seconds. <laughs> exactly. Just boop boop Earth Kit Cat Chunky print. Yep. Alright. Next follow up question. Why are the red shirts always dying? And why hasn't the Enterprise done anything about it? Okay. Are, are they expendable, or is it just an inside joke? Okay, now the thing about red shirts is, on the original series, so the different shirts de- represent different things. Blue, this, this symbol here means the science department. Mm. So Spock is the science officer. Dr. McCoy wore the blue. He was the doctor. So science and medical wears blue on the original. Yellow is for command. Kirk is the captain. He wears a yellow shirt. Red. Scotty wore red. He was Red is for engineering and security. The reason the red shirts are expendable is because they're the security team. They're the guys who mm. are playing bodyguards to everybody and the ones who, when they beam down to dangerous planets, they're the ones who just get killed off like cannon fodder because they're the guys who do most of the fighting in the original show. Now, the thing about red shirts dying is that that was mostly an original series thing. Like I said, there's, you know, like 10 shows now. But even in the next generation, they changed things up where red was the the command shirt. (laughs) 
So Captain right. P- Captain Picard wears a red shirt in in the next generation. So that's where that comes from. It's just it, they famously died so much on the original series hmm. that red shirts being killed off became a joke. Gotcha. And I guess this is kind of two questions in one. Yeah. How many people has Kirk banged in the show, and is he the equivalent of a space fuckboy? I always thought Kirk's reputation as a womanizer was slightly overblown. Now, what the first two seasons of Star Trek, I don't think he really takes on that many lovers. But the third season of Star Trek, I feel like he had a new love interest every week. <laughs> hmm. So it was really more the third season of the original show in the late 60s that gave him that reputation, I'd say. And he did have a couple of good romances over the years. But I don't think many, not many women got into his heart for long term. Right. But I you know, know he, he shared the first kiss, interracial kiss on screen. A little fun history he, for you. I don't think it was the first, but it was, I think it was the first, first popular. In, first in color, I'm pretty sure. Mm, which so is first <laughs> which is arguably more meaningful yeah it's way more meaningful yeah i already anything... asked that question what's their goal uh da, 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 da. who's who's con what's his deal is he like why is he so mad at kirk okay con so remember i told you before how there were eugenics wars where people mm-hmm. where some humans got genetically modified so Khan, mm-hmm. yeah, and when you say when you say genetically modified, is it like stronger, they can fly, smarter, or they have basically super, like it's basically super strength, super, or just like it's this like guy's Captain just America. faster? Oh, so what's the problem? It's like Captain America Super Soldier Serum. It takes everything about you. It just okay. The problem is because everyone was genetically genetically modified to be stronger, faster, smarter. Mm-hmm. They started thinking of themselves as superior human beings, and it sure. started. It started being like a Nazism, master race sort of situation where they're like, yeah, we're better. So why should we be living in society with the rest of you people? And that led to big wars, which were obviously tough to fight because you're fighting smarter, stronger, faster soldiers. So that's when humans, after this war, they eliminated eugenics. It's illegal. You can't genetically modify your bodies to be to make improvements anymore but khan was one of these people back in the day and he was one of the most dangerous ones so Mm. what they did at the end of the eugenics wars they didn't end up killing him but what they did was they took him and about 70 of his best followers they put them in cryo freeze and just threw them out into space ah they did the they did the superman thing yeah and this was the beginning of the 21st century or so so about now would be when the eugenic wars would happen But in the original series, which is set around the 2260s, so 200 years later, Kirk's Enterprise finds Khan's ship frozen in space, and they have no idea what this is. So then they unthaw them and realize, oh, crap, we just thawed out some of these eugenic soldiers. Mm. Now, would it still be illegal if I I genetically altered myself, but not to have, like, be smarter or stronger, but just have, like, better, like, cholesterol? Better cholesterol levels? That's just called good health. And medicine's oh. increased a lot better in the future, too. So. Yes or no? <laughs> well. Is it still illegal? 
if you modified yourself to do it naturally, then probably, yes, it would probably be illegal to actively modify it. But if you mm-hmm. kept up good health, that's fine. Well, if I want to make myself like an inch taller. <laughs> then, uh, no, that's, that's fine because that's not genetic modification. No, what, sometimes what they do is when they want to blend in with other cultures, mm-hmm. they, they kind of do some temporary plastic surgery on themselves and sometimes they change their genetics not to be you know like i said faster stronger smarter but just to blend in with the species in case there's bio scans of them so so the reason oh so you're going back about khan which it's maybe a bit of a spoiler why khan is so mad at him but let's just say at the end of the original episode where they find khan Uh uh-huh they don't want to kill him, but they find this planet, and they basically leave him stranded there, which wasn't necessarily a problem at the time if you watch the episode, but it became a problem later. So then when he shows back up again in Wrath of Khan, which is set 20 years later or so, that's Khan's out. Which was shocking, shocking for the time, right? Because that was like the first to ever do it, like from a TV show to a movie. It was pretty surprising that one villain... Khan wasn't a big part of the original series. He was just right. in one, ep- one episode of the first season, but made such an impression that when they made a sequel movie to the Star Trek, the motion picture in 1980 or 1982 or so, they thought, okay, who's a good villain for this? Oh, that Khan guy was a pretty cool villain. Let's bring right. him back from the show. What kind of planet did they drop him off at? Was it like... Okay, well, I guess this is a, this is a minor spoiler because it doesn't... I guess it doesn't really matter that you know the context, but... Was it like they, lava planet, or was it like trees and waterfalls? When they dropped him off, it was a mm-hmm. nice planet. But over the 20 years, there was a natural disaster there, and it ended up very, very bad. So by the time Khan came off, a lot of his people had died because of this natural mm-hmm. disaster, and he blamed Kirk for stranding him there. Well, so, that's just a coincidence, you know? No need to kick up a fuss. Well, he was mad about being stranded in the first place, but a lot of his people died because of Kirk's decision, ultimately. Even though it wasn't 100% his fault, it was still... He's out for blood in Wrath of Khan. Sounds like a you problem. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh yeah, who's the doctor? Or who's the guy who says he's not a doctor? Who's that guy? Who's that meme? That's Dr. McCoy. McCoy. So he yeah. is a doctor. Yeah, McCoy's a doctor. Well, it's it's not that he's not a doctor. It's what he always says is... Okay, so say, for example, he was trying to tackle an archaeology problem. Just mm. for example, maybe he's he's trying to do a... Maybe they're on this planet and you need to know a knowledge of history. And he'd, and he'd say, I'm a doctor, Jim, not an archaeologist. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, sometimes, that's just kind of what he said when... Sometimes people would ask him to do things that weren't in his field. He'd be like, I'm a doctor. And his gym yeah. always forget? Or is he just like fucking with them at this point? He's just like, yeah, I know, but just answer the damn question. It's more in jest. They kind of have a banter. Hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. It's funny how most of the things you that are kind of culturally known about Star Trek, everything you're mentioning is from the original series from 1966 to 1969 when there's... There was about four other shows between the 80s and the 2000s and it's just funny how you know nothing about those culturally no which is interesting i don't know anything 
Who's better, Kirk or Picard? Picard. Okay. I'm a quick answer on that. You know, you have to know. When you're a Star Trek fan, you gotta know where you come down for this question. Mm. They're great captains for different reasons. Kirk is... He's a different kind of person for Star Trek fans, you know? It's more... Space fuckboy. Well, yeah, he's kind of... Like you said, he's that. He's younger. He's more impulsive. He's more action-heavy. He's the captain that will beam down onto the planet and kick the bad guy's ass himself. That's Mm. Kirk. Picard is middle-aged. He's a bit older, wiser. He cares more for diplomacy and talking his way out of problems than punching them in the face or blowing them up. They're they're kind of equal but different captaining styles in different ways. I always thought Kirk was a better captain for wartime and Picard is a better captain for peacetime. Kirk is the guy I'd want to lead me in the battle. Picard is the guy I'd want to be with pretty much any other time. Hmm. You said Kirk and Picard, and I think you ended it pretty well with Picard being the leader in peacetime. What a loser. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) How many times does George Takei say, oh my, in the series? Well, I didn't do a count, but I don't think it was very many. Oh, really? He probably only did it one time, probably. See, the thing... Oh. What I'm realizing is a lot of the things people think they know about Star Trek only happen Mm. once or twice. And sometimes with the beam me up, Scotty, not even at all. But it's kind of just... The only thing I'd say is the red shirts, they died a lot in the original, that's for sure. But a lot of other things like that probably only happened a couple of times or once, and it kind of just became iconic. And people... Is the... Yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. And people thought it was a recurring thing. Right. Uh, Is the reboot trilogy worth it? With Chris Pine. Now, what I will say about that is a lot of classic Star Trek fans who've been Mm -hmm. around for a very long time despise those movies. Right. They think it's more Star Wars than Star Trek, that it doesn't really represent what the franchise is all about. I'm a bit biased in their favor, if only because I grew up with them. They were they were coming out when I was in elementary school, high school. I watched them all, I think, in theaters. And they were kind of, like I said earlier, they were a soft reboot for Star Trek for me. And part of me would say... Okay, maybe new Trek or people like you who've never seen Star Trek, maybe they should start with a movie with those movies because they're they are modern, they have more modern effects, they are more like Star Wars, they're pretty action heavy, they're palatable and and appealing in many ways and if you guys are like me, you might like them enough that you do more. And then you'll see all the other Star Trek and realize they don't really represent Star Trek, but they got you in it, Mm. is one thing. They're kind of a good gateway drug into Star Trek, but they don't really represent the Star Trek that Star Trek fans like. So it's it's kind of a toss-up. Do you... As a Star Trek fan, I can say, no, they're not great Star Trek. But as a film fan, I can say, well, they kind of got me into it, so... Mm-hmm. Is it because of the lens flares? That's 
<laughs> That's a stylistic choice. Ah. But it's more about... It's like I said before, Star Trek at its core, yeah, there's a lot of action and whatnot, but it's more about the moral philosophies. It's about putting humanity into situations that really make you think about just how we treat other people, how we would treat other cultures, a what-if scenarios about finding peace and tranquility and utopia, how do we get here, how do we be our best selves. Mm. Whereas the Star Trek movies by J.J. Abrams are more, well, like a lot of fans accuse them, they're more Star Wars. They're a lot more action-heavy. The characters are younger, more brash, more impulsive, a lot less measured and thoughtful and intelligent, to be honest. But (laughs) Star Trek is all about being smart and action second. But those movies made action first. Right. And not a lot of intelligence to go around. And that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I see, I see. Uh, Are there any more, any other noticeable... Or worth mentioning villains besides Khan. See, the thing about Star Trek is, <laughs> I think, no, no, I'm getting into a, a point here. Khan is probably the most famous single villain. Star Trek has a lot of great villains, but there are more villain groups. Mm. you probably heard of the Klingons, for example. The Klingons, yes. there's also Romulans, Cardassians, the Borg. Star Trek has yeah, plenty. Yeah, those Cardassians. Yeah. They're the worst. <laughs> they are, really, but they're... Yeah, see, Khan, like I said, is a great single villain. Star Trek doesn't have a lot of great single antagonists. Well, I mean, they do have a lot of great antagonists, but they're just for one episode. Whereas things like these groups, these entire cultures that are opposing the Federation in some way, they're, they're kind of giant villains, right. you know? Big picture stuff. It's not just one enemy who's antagonizing the crews. Although there are some recurring ones. Like, if we're right. talking about Cardassians, there's Gul Dukat in Deep Space Nine. He's one. He's probably the main antagonist of that series. But it's, yeah, it's pretty rare mm-hmm. for there to be a single antagonist that keeps going for more than just a standalone episode. Right. Why so many sequel shows? How can you keep up with all of them? Also, why? How has this gone on for so long? (laughs) Okay, so... Where's the roadmap? Okay, so in 1966, Star Trek was just a standalone show. The basic idea was kind of... I forget what he... I think Gene Roddenberry called it uh, Wagon Train to the Stars or something like that. It was kind of... Pioneers in space, space exploration, we're, we're finding things, and it's action-heavy, it's more swashbuckling, there's a lot of, yeah, it's just pretty cool stuff. But then, that show got cancelled, and then in the 70s they tried to do an animated show with the original voice cast, and that lasted a couple years. And then the Star Trek cast came to do some movies, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, and then the original cast did four more throughout the 80s. But then in the late 80s, they wanted to bring Star Trek back to the small screen, and they thought, okay, are we going to get the original cast back? And they thought, well, okay, the original cast is busy doing movies, 
and those movies are doing pretty well, so maybe let's just get a whole new cast, a next generation, if you will. Aha! And they set that show 100 years after the original series, give or take. And That's like three generations. That's not just a generation. People live a very long time. Dr. McCoy is actually in the pilot is a hundred, like a hundred and twenty year old man in the pilot of Next Generation. I thought you said there's no genetic modifications. If you can prolong no, life, no, that's... you don't prolong. <laughs> no, that's just this is three hundred years in the future. You know, Next Gen's in the twenty in the twenty three hundreds. You know, even by the original series, just you can't genetically modify life. But scientific advancement has just gotten so good that humans can live up to 130. And that's just... Well, I mean, he's a really old man at that time. Sounds but, uh, awful. <laughs> but he's still just, walking. Just frail by that point. Oh, you're still walking? All right. Yeah, he was still walking. You know, he's... McCoy at 130 looked like most 80-year-olds now. You know, he's bad. He's doing okay. Yeah, so the next generation comes out, and that ran from, I think, 1987 to 1994. And then after the next generation, that was a lot more in the vein of the original series. A starship, kind of just exploring the galaxy, finding anomalies and bad guys to fight and moral quandaries to cover every week. And then they did a... Well, I wouldn't even say it's a spin-off because there's none of the same characters as next gen. But then mm-hmm. what... Actually, one. There was one guy. But... <clears throat> That show was called Deep Space Nine, and the idea behind that show was the entire thing is the first two Star Trek shows were all about boldly going where no one has gone before on a starship. Deep Space Nine was set on a space station. The entire show is just set on this space station. The trouble comes to them. It's and like Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. But the thing about Deep Space Nine is that, well, the Cardassians are this very militant race, and they basically performed a genocide on the pop culture yeah on the people on the planet below and they abandoned their space station when the rebellion finally won on this planet and starfleet has come in to pretty well keep the peace and make sure that the cardassians don't come back to this world and they're on this space station oh and it also happens that these people there's a wormhole that opens up into a different quadrant of the galaxy that no one's ever been to before so Mm. starfleet thinks okay well, you know, we're here to protect this planet, but also this wormhole has some really fascinating scientific implications, so we'll stick around to protect the planet and study it. And Deep Space Nine ran for another seven years. So the original series ran for three years, the next gen ran for seven years, Deep Space Nine ran for seven years, and then a spin-off of Deep Space Nine was Star Trek Voyager, which also ran for seven years. And that one is about a starship that gets caught in an anomaly and they ended up transported way across the galaxy about at their max speed it would take them about 70 years to get back home so that's what that one's all about they're really in the unknown territories and they're just trying to get back home they don't have the backing of the federation out here not even close and voyagers just about the journey home can we still maintain these utopic ideals in a situation where we have no backing, hmm. we can break the rules and there would be no consequences except to our conscience. Can we keep who we are so far from home? Do they make it home? That's a spoiler. You just say yes or no. 
It's a spoiler. <laughs> yes or no is a big spoiler. Uh. But I will say a lot of people were disappointed with Voyager for... I can get into it in a bit, but basically people thought it was never as gritty as it should have been. Mm. They thought, okay, well, if you're stranded so far out, you should probably be running low on supplies and stuff, but they never they never really had problems day-to-day. It was more well, they of just, a, They just go to that food machine, and yeah. then they type in supplies. Exactly. It was more about the mental toll of being ah. so far from home and your loved ones for so long with just this the people you know on this ship. So we'll just print out print out new loved ones. Yeah. Just go to the machine, print loved ones, and then sure. <laughs> press enter. Sure. That's how it works, right? Yeah. So then in the 2000, so that takes us to about 2001. Star Trek was not in a good place by this point because in the 90s, like I said, there were about there was Next Generation, D Space Nine, and Voyager in the in the 90s. Star Trek. Oh yeah, and the original series movies were just ending, and then the Next Generation when their show ended, they went to the movies. Star Trek was oversaturated in the 90s, and by about 2002, people were sick of it. The next-gen movies died, Voyager ended, and there was a bit of a gap, and then they came out with Star Trek Enterprise, which was a prequel series to the original series, set about 100 years before the original series in Captain Kirk. And that one, people didn't really like, and that only ran for four years. I'm a fan of it, but I feel like I'm in the minority there. That one starred Scott Bakula as Captain Jonathan Archer. And that one is really cool because it's set in a time long before the Federation. It's really just humans and Vulcans. And humans have barely even left our solar system at this point. They don't have the technologies that could really help out with other Star Trek shows. They don't really have transporters right away. They still go to most places by shuttle. They don't have laser rifles and pistols well they do it closer to the start but they're brand new they don't even have shields on their spaceships so they're a lot more vulnerable it's just they don't even have a universal translator oh yeah that's another big thing about star trek a big tool of theirs is the universal translator which is kind of like a more real-time version of google translate yeah where you can understand alien species so they actually have to have a linguist on board (laughs) in star trek enterprise she actually... Oh, so the machine put a lot of people out of the job, is what you're saying. I mean, they still had Ahura in the original show. Oh, okay. That was pretty much her job to... In the last Star Trek show that's just out, Ahura made a good point. She's in that new show as well. And she was saying how she thinks people respond better when you talk to them in their native language, for mm. example. So you still need linguists and diplomats. The Universal Translator is kind of just a crutch for people who don't want to actively learn the new languages. Right, right. But you still need people to understand them. So then Star Trek Enterprise pretty much killed the show, but that's when we get into the J.J. Abrams movies. And they thought, okay, people are sick of the era of Star Trek set around the next generation, and they don't like that prequel show, so let's go all the way back to Captain Kirk but a prequel to Captain Kirk in an alternate timeline, which is weird. Oh, is that why Leonard Nimoy's in it for like two seconds? Yeah, because Spock from the original timeline Uh, came back to the past and things changed. Gotcha. So he can meet his younger self in a branching timeline. They say stop yelling at people. (laughs) Yeah, which is why things are different. So those movies did... 
whatever. And then in the late 2010s, Star Trek was back on TV again, finally. Fans rejoiced. And then we got Star Trek Discovery. Mm, I've heard things. This show, man. This show. If people think the Abrams movies are bad Star Trek, they haven't watched Star Trek Discovery. Those movies mm. look like next generation compared to Star Trek Discovery. But I've watched for all four years. I'm, st- I'm still watching. I hope it gets better every year, and every year I'm let down. It's abusive. You have false hope, yeah. Yeah. It was like me with Walking Dead. Yeah. And I just had to stop at one point. It's bad. Okay, and then after that, that one's also a prequel. It's set about 10 years before Captain Kirk and his Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And then we get Star Trek Picard, set, well, 30 years after The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Also bad for many reasons. Yes. Because we're getting into, it's like I said, Star Trek is all about the optimistic future, showing us a mirror of our best selves. But Picard falls into the trap so many modern sci-fi shows do, or just all entertainment, where they show us our problems now in a very overt lens. It's very... It comes across as way more preachy because it's very directly commenting on issues of today. Where Star Trek Mm. always did that, but they wrapped it in a sci-fi package that could still be entertaining if you weren't looking for deeper meaning. But Star Trek Picard is more like, yes, these are the problems of today. Understand them. (laughs) Which is off-putting to many people. I don't... I'm not as off-put by politics in Star Trek as a lot of people because it's always been there. But it's just just way worse handled nowadays. In Picard, anyway. But then... The latest one... Okay, yeah, then there was a few animated shows. Lower Decks and Prodigy. I like both of those, but they're not essential and then the latest one is star trek strange new worlds which is airing right now it only premiered a few weeks ago oh and that one funny story about that one in 1966 gene roddenberry made star trek he made a pilot and the captain of the enterprise was not james t kirk but a man named christopher pike which that's that pilot nbc executives i think called too cerebral or something like that so then they basically rebooted it. They scrapped that pilot. They kept Spock, though. Mm. Spock was the only one who stayed from that pilot. They fired, I think his name was Jeffrey Hunter, and brought in William Shatner's James T. Kirk, and the show pretty much got a soft reboot, and that was Star Trek. Strange New Worlds stars the cast of that original pilot from 19... Not the cast, but the, the crew of that original pilot from 1966. So that crew... Christopher Pike's Enterprise with Spock on board. They're finally getting their show that they were denied 60 years ago. Wow, that's kind of brilliant. Yeah. And I don't know how long we have left here. We're probably coming down to it. But I will say, if you're going to start Star Trek on TV, Strange New World Mm -hmm. ain't a bad place to do that. Because, Mm -hmm. yes, it's a little bit indebted to the Easter eggs of, of yesteryear. You... You know, it helps to know a little bit about Star Trek, but really, I think it's a really good jumping off point because this Strange New Worlds is actually good. It's, mm. it's the best Star Trek. The first two episodes I watched the other day are the best Star Trek I've seen on TV since the 2000s. It blows Discovery and Picard out of the water as far as I'm concerned. This is 
what good Star Trek is. And it's got the modern effects too. And it's got really good writing as well. It's so I think if you're just jumping into Star Trek now and you want more modern effects than the 1960s series or whatever, yeah, if you're coming into it now with a and you want a modern take, I think Strange New Worlds is a decent jumping off place because it just started. It's only two episodes in. You don't need a ton of context to get what's going on. It's just good. Oh, yeah. And praise be, they went back to an episodic format. That was a huge problem with Discovery and Picard, is that they did every other prestige television thing and did 10-episode season-long arcs. arcs. But mm. Star, Star Trek was always about the problem. Episodic. Of the, yeah, it was always the problem of the week. Just really cool, self-contained sci-fi tales that could be done in an hour, right. and then they move on to something else the next week. Where does, where does keeping up with the Kardashians fit in with the roadmap? Because you kept talking about them. Keeping up with the Kardashians. That's, yeah, the that's... Kardashians. Or is it the prequel? I should hope they died in World War Three, and that's 30% <laughs> of the... No, that's too harsh. Except Pete what? Davidson. <laughs> Except Pete Davidson. Oh, is he a Kardashian? God. He's Dayton one. Oh. Yeah. The main one. I, uh, I guess one final one. question is, in your opinion... Yes. Which is better? Star Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> Yeah, I was. I didn't know you were going to ask that, but I was going to acknowledge it. I said up top that when my dad said Star Trek was better back when I was seven years old, I said that was blasphemy. Nowadays, I think I'm inclined to say Star Trek. Perfectly honest. And I will tell you why. Even with the Book of Boba Fett, Joe? <laughs> I will tell you what, yes. Even with the Book of Boba Fett, that, that masterpiece of Star Wars entertainment. Of cinema. Now... Okay, look, I think it's very important to consider that I was a huge Star Wars fan as a child. Star mm -hmm. Wars was kind of like my religion. I consumed all Star Wars, all the expanded universe, everything, and I loved it. And then 2012 came, and they wiped out all the expanded universe, except for the movies. My entire childhood of investment, gone overnight, thanks to Disney, and them wanting to start fresh for their sequel trilogy. So then the entirety of the 2010s, this is the period where there was overlap. The 2010s is the period where the sequels came out and my disappointment in Star Wars. They wiped out my entire childhood's worth of stories, first of all, except for the movies. And then the stuff they replaced it with was either a cheap imitation or way worse. Star Wars, the last decade, has extremely been, has extremely disappointed me. But this is also the same decade I pretty much discovered Star Trek and watch 60 years of this franchise. And what I realized about Star Trek, now this is just logical, the math here, is Star Trek has, what, nine, uh, I guess 11 movies, if you count the spinoffs, 11 movies, a couple of TV shows, and the Clone Wars. Next Generation ran for seven years. This generation alone ran for seven years, over 20 episodes a season. Mm -hmm. There is... By the math here, there is more good hours of next generation content alone than the entirety of the Star Wars franchise. Not even counting the best stuff from all the other Star Trek shows. So just from a 
just from that perspective, mathematical standpoint, yeah, just yeah. from a mathematical standpoint, there is way, way, way more good Star Trek out there than there is good Star Wars. Because I'm saying the best of next gen could probably eclipse all of Star Wars. But Star Wars, the fan base can't even agree on what's good Star Wars. Everyone pretty much agrees <laughs> on the original trilogy. Oh, except for Return of the Jedi. People don't, some people don't like that. The prequels, great. the prequels, people are pretty much divided right on the middle there. And the sequels don't even get me started. The TV shows have somewhat of a following, especially the Clone Wars. But that's mm-hmm. not a lot of people have watched those, unfortunately. So if we're just if we're just talking about the movies in particular, the stuff most people have seen, there isn't even all that much great Star Wars out there. Just objectively great Star Wars. Star Wars has two great movies that everyone can agree on. And everything else leads to flame wars and excessive arguments and debate. That's fair. But I don't see a lightsaber in Star Trek, do you? I don't see that. No. no they have they, tiny little laser gun, don't they? It's like little, it's a tiny. They got big they laser go, guns too. They, they just don't oh, use them very ones. often. Yeah, they, got, they have like rifles. Well, maybe they should use the big ones every now and again. You know? The small ones pack a punch, man. Do they? Oh, yeah. Small. Is it like one hit kill? Can be. Mm. If it's set to kill. They usually set it to stun, though. Ah. Yes, because it's political, not action. The kill one vaporizes you. Ah. See, that's it. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. The kill setting vaporizes you, and that's on the small ones. <laughs> the bigger rifles. Well, pack- what, what other level is there higher than vaporize? atomize i guess oh god i guess it's it too to smart be. for me i guess it would have to be so uh that's but yeah that's basically all my questions yeah so oh my god i guess i would have to say if we're talking about if you were going to jump into every individual show i will say if you wanted to start right at the beginning 1966 the original star trek is dated in many ways unfortunately as progressive as it was it ain't perfect Mm-hmm. There is some stuff that'll maybe make you raise your eyebrows sometimes, but its heart was always in the right place is the thing. You know, the special effects are 60 years old for television, so nothing special. But, and what I will say about the original series is you have to be in a mindset for it. It's mm-hmm. not just a show you can sit down. And, the 60s was, people acted bigger back then. Right. It's more Shakespeare. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's more melodramatic, melodramatic music, very Shakespearean. It's very big. So if you're just watching this with a cynical mindset, you'll say, oh, this is a really cheesy show. But I nearly find it more engaging sometimes when I'm in the right mindset for it. Is, mm-hmm. oh, this is big. I am super invested in this. The other shows are not so melodramatic. Well, Next Gen kind of was in its first few years, and those are notoriously the worst couple of years. But mm-hmm. Next Gen is my favorite Star Trek show. That would be the one I would say to start with. But like I said, it took me three times over five years just to finish the first season. Starting from the, the first season, not great. Second season, a little better. But season three through seven, one of the best TV shows ever made. No contest. You know, that's not just my opinion. That's a lot of, that's a lot of people's opinion. Is the next generation is one of the best shows ever created. D-Space Nine mm-hmm. also has a rough start, unfortunately. 
What a name. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. That's the name of the space station. Is it it the ninth space station? I believe so. Yeah, Mm. it's... Well, it's... It's designated number nine, I guess. But... Got that one actor in it. Alexander Sigdig. He was in something. He was in Game of Thrones. He's been in a few things. He's probably the one you probably... I've seen him in more stuff than any other one from that show, than any other actor from that show. But, yeah, Deep Space Nine had a rough start, but that was Star Trek serialized. That was pretty interesting, because they started doing longer-form arcs, and what was really cool about Deep Space Nine was that eventually the Federation goes to war mm-hmm. in that one. So then we get to see what the Federation is like during wartime, and can we maintain our ideals during wartime, and how far can we be pushed before we start being doing sketchy things in the name of peace. So D Space Nine had a lot of great things. A lot of Star Trek fans will tell you D Space Nine's the best one. But it's also kind of the darker side of Star Trek. Which is mm-hmm. funny because the modern Picard and Discovery show the darker side of Star Trek without hope or optimism or good writing. But D Space Nine was the dark side of Star Trek where it wasn't dark for the sake of being dark. It was Times are dark, and we're still trying to find our best selves in these terrible times. It was still ultimately hopeful. And Voyager, like I said, a lot of people complain that it wasn't gritty enough. But if you enjoy Next Gen, it's pretty much Next Gen light. Enterprise takes a bit to get into. It's... Do you think, just like, yeah, just as a throw out there, would they ever do a Star Trek prequel? Where they show like the World War Three aspect or the genetic modifications, or is that like? It would be interesting. I just part of me feels like that would. It's just not the same like vibe. It would be tough to show because mm. well, first of all, it would all be set on Earth, which is Star Trek's about exploration Trek, and being yeah. in space. So that's so that's one thing. The second is it's set in the darkest period of human history. So now there have been. Star Trek shows over the years, many of the ones I mentioned, they go back in time to just before the war or just after the war. Mm-hmm. So you you see, you do see kind of what the aftermath of the war looked like for humanity. But you gotcha. We've never been put into the wars itself. So, alrighty, well, all right. So, have I convinced you to watch? anything i guess give your recap what you liked about what i said what i didn't like if i can clear up any lingering concerns or what i liked about what you said is that you were very clear that it's a different type of media where it's not action heavy and that it's more so political and trying to solve issues where it's using your brain instead of you know the, your muscle, yeah. Except with the new trilogy, I guess there is plenty and of that, action. There always ha- just yeah. To be clear, oh, there's yeah. There always has been plenty of action. It's just not sure. the primary, right? And that was an interesting aspect. The different shows you did, you actually did a very good job of uh, summarizing them and the timeline there. It is so much. You're gonna have to watch all of it. Remember, I'm just trying to get you to start right. no, some yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'll watch the new trilogy, because that was 
that was my mindset going in this, where it was like, hmm, maybe I'll watch the new trilogy yeah. just to have like a refresher. But then you said it doesn't really, for like real Star Trek fans, it doesn't really represent, represent well. Star Trek well. But it's a good gateway drug if, if you're on the fence. Right. And you care to see more after that. Mm-hmm. But, there is that. Yeah, it is a factor. Talk about how Next Generation is one of the greatest shows that's ever been made. I don't know if it's a little biased, but that's fine. However, I might check out the original tr- movies. Just because I the think movies. it's easier for me. The original motion picture. Motion picture... I would say is not a great start. Motion picture is kind of mm. the, cer- the cerebral aspect cranked up to 11 with not a lot of action to compensate. Visually beautiful movie, but if you're going to start on the original, I'd say probably Wrath of Khan is a better start if you mm. want to get invested. I might check out Wrath of Khan. But Wrath so of Khan you've... is, yeah. I would say you have convinced me to watch something. Yeah. Okay. So point point one for Ryan, point one for Joe. We're we're hundred percent so far. Okay, if you can, now okay, th- this might be a little too much of a of an ask, but I might mm-hmm. suggest I might suggest wetting your feet with the original series by watching the episode called Space Seed. That was the first appearance of the first and only appearance of Khan in the original series. So you get a taste of the original series. Plus the necessary background to understand Wrath of Khan. Well, not that write that down. Not that Wrath of Khan needs too much context to understand, but it would let you see Khan. what he's so mad about. Yeah, yeah. It's also so Space Seed. That's the classic episode. Space. Yeah. Okay, so I convinced you to watch Wrath of Khan. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. There's take, one in one. We're... I will. I'll take that. And if you wanna. Like I said, you don't need to watch all Star Trek. God, no. If you're going to watch any Star Trek show from beginning to end, I'd say Next Generation. Mm. Or maybe the original series, but you have to be in the right mindset for the original series. Like I said, it's not, you can't just pop that in. And yeah, watch yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I love old cheesy stuff. I love it. Yeah. It's only cheesy if you're looking at it cynically, but it's... No, yeah, yeah. I don't know, like I'm saying, like, I love yeah. old 60s, like, acting. It's hilarious. Yeah. Now, okay, one, one thing I will say about the original series, part of me thinks it's nearly better to listen to it than watch it sometimes, because, <laughs> because it was kind of crafted, the scripts were made to seem like radio plays in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. They're so good, you can listen to it. And that's how my friend Justin, who, you know, Justin, that's how he got into Star Trek, was I watched it when we were at York, that's when I was still watching the original series, and he was just playing video games off to the side and caught, <sighs> he heard these stories, and he started by listening to it. And then he listened to it as I kept watching it, but he's, he slowly stopped playing his video games and got more invested in the show until he was just watching it with me. So listening to it, you know, if you don't want to be burdened by the cheesy effects and the melodrama, listening to it might be the, the gateway in. Wasn't it on the radio at one point? Probably. The first few seasons in particular are pretty. All right, so our timing... So. Our timing's yeah. running out here, so I guess Zoom we'll has given us limited time for some reason now. I don't know why. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. I take a win. I will take it. Yeah. And uh, 
Let's plug our socials. Wrap it up here. Well, this has been fun. You can find me at Ryan Walker Official on Instagram and on TikTok. Okay. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok now as Thought Plane Media and our Facebook page of the same name. Find further film discussion and entertainment reviews on thoughtplane.ca forward slash articles. And if you'd be so kind, you can support Thought Plane Media on Patreon, link down below. Also be sure to leave us comments and reviews as that's a big help. And how about clicking that like button if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you on the next close-up with Ryan and Joe. Live long and prosper. I'm not doing that. <laughs> see ya. See ya.